2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel, drank from his cup, lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done, done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now listen to verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. Listen to verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? And folks, we're going to get to this, I hope, but there's a very important lesson in this. One of the ways that Satan will try and tempt us is to despise and treat with contempt the word and the will of God. And David had done that. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have smitten Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife. You have slain him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Listen to verse 13. David confesses. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, now again, listen to this. David confesses, God forgives. The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. I also want to read Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5. And folks, I'm going to be reading these out of the Living Bible, but listen, these are the words of forgiveness and the restoration of David. Listen to these words. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Now listen to this, verse 3. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. Listen to this. I love these next two sentences, three sentences. I said to myself. Now, folks, look at this for just a second. 
when it comes into David's heart that he wants to repent and turn away from sin and turn back to God, and in his mind he says to himself, I'm going to confess my sin to the Lord. Listen to this. You forgave me. You remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told about how the son, when he finally came to his senses and saw the path that sin had taken him down and had it literally destroyed his life, he said, I'm going to go back home to my father and I'm going to confess that I'm no longer worthy to be a son. I'm going to tell him I have truly been a rebellious child and I just hope that he'll let me be one of his servants. You remember the story that the father constantly is scanning the horizon, hoping and praying that his son's going to return. And as he sees his son coming back home before his son can confess his sin and rebellion, the father wraps his arms around him, embraces him and kisses him. Folks, you see, the Lord knows what is in our hearts and what the intention of our mind is. And when he knows that we have a repentant spirit and we want to confess our sin, forgiveness is automatic and there. And listen again, David said, I said to myself, I will confess him to the Lord. You forgave me. And look at that last sentence. All my guilt is gone. Folks, as we pick up from last week, I want to read again 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven, And follow on the screen. And notice when the morning, now that's not a.m., but when Bathsheba had finished grieving the loss of her husband, Uriah. David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But look at this last sentence. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Folks, David thought he had solved his dilemma. David had committed adultery with his affair with Bathsheba, and he had had her husband Uriah killed when he found out that she was pregnant. And so Uriah has died, and after a time of mourning her husband's death, David called for Bathsheba to come to the palace, and she became his wife. Now, folks, there's a great cover-up here. David thought that the only ones who really knew what had happened were the servants. You remember back in chapter 11, verse 4, when David from his roof saw this beautiful woman and lusted after her, he had sent his servants, his messengers, to get her and bring her to his palace. And David thought the only one that really knows what has happened is these messengers that went to get Bathsheba and Joab, the captain of David's army, who knew the reason that Uriah was killed. And David was probably feeling pretty confident that even though Bathsheba had left immediately after the period of mourning and had come to the palace to become his wife, maybe a few people would raise their eyebrows at her getting married so quickly. And then perhaps as much as six months later, after the baby was born, maybe some, some of the gossips in the community might have started rumors about David, but David thought he had it all covered up. And he thought his plan had worked. But David would soon realize that he must give an account of himself to God. And folks, you and I need to understand something, not only as believers, but also as people who have not yet found faith in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us must give an account of himself to God. And God does hold us accountable. And look again at this verse. What the, the, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
Why did the Lord become displeased with David? A number of reasons, but I want to point out two passages of Scripture. First of all, 2 Samuel 8, 15. When God called David, David began to reign over all Israel, and David, David administered justice and equity to all his people. You see, as God's anointed king, God expected David to be the symbol and the one who had administered justice and equity. And not only that, in chapter 5, verse 2 of Second Samuel, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. David had been given a very special responsibility by God over the people of Israel. But David's sin of adultery, his cold-blooded murder of Uriah, his attempt to cover it all up were evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so look again at chapter 12, verse 9. You have despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. Folks, I want to point something out about that word despised. In the Hebrew, it means to treat contemptuously, to scorn, to make of little accord. In other words, what God is saying, David is declaring by his actions that God and his word are to be of little account and unworthy of love and devotion. And folks, there's such a tremendous and strong lesson in this. God has set parameters for our lives. God has given us his word. God wants you and I to constantly walk hand in him, hand in hand with him, not because he wants us to just simply obey him, but so that his will can be done in our lives and we can experience the abundant life that God has for us. God wants our lives as his children to be full, but when you and I fall into sin and when we treat his word with disrespect when we despise it, when we treat it with little account, sin is able to pull us away from God. And this is what had happened with David. And folks, I'm going to read the last five commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You remember there are ten commandments. The first four deal with man's relationship to God. And then the last six deal with man's relationship to man. And I hope and pray none of you guys are thinking in here, well, that's Old Testament stuff. That was centuries ago. They don't have any application to my life today. They absolutely positively do. Not only because of our relationship with God, can you imagine what our society would be like if we live by the Ten Commandments and also live for the Lord Jesus Christ? Living for him first, of course. But folks, listen to these last five commandments. You shall not kill. David had had Uriah killed, and when he was killed, other Israelite soldiers were killed. You shall not commit adultery. David had done that. And folks, yes, this is in the Bible. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. Our society would tell us this stuff right here is so outdated. Folks, this is the word of God, and we must not treat it in a despised and scornful way. You shall not steal. David had stolen Bathsheba 
away from Uriah. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do you and I realize how David had lied to Uriah? Remember last week we studied chapter 11. David called him off the battlefield to get him to go home and, and have an intimate time with Bathsheba, hoping that people would think that he hadn't gotten her pregnant, but that Uriah had. And then verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or any other thing that he has. But yet David had despised all of these. And folks, what is so sad, David had acted as if he was a privileged character. And he could do whatever he wanted and get away with it. And folks, Satan will tempt you and I to do that too. Satan will tempt you and I to think that um, we're special and we can do whatever we want and our sins are acceptable. You remember we talked last Sunday about how it's so easy to look at other people's sins and tell how bad they are, but we have such a difficulty looking at our own. And folks, there's something else here we need to mention. We cannot hide our sins from God. And folks, the more I read and studied this passage of Scripture, something continually came back to me. You remember, I think it was at the first of the year we studied the 23rd Psalm. And what a great expression of worship, a great expression of how David knew God. And those first five words in the 23rd Psalm are so important. The Lord is my shepherd. And you remember we talked about the importance of the concept of the Lord. The Lord is the most significant name for God in the Old Testament. It was used for over 6,000 times. And folks, one of the meanings of the concept of the Lord, it spoke of God's eternal existence and his forever presence with his people and that he is the God above all gods. But here David... David is thinking that he can hide his sin from God. And in essence, I believe, too, David is debating with God whether what he has done is sin or not. Have you ever had that argument with God? Let's be honest. Folks, have we ever told God what we thought was sin and what is not? And sometimes we argue by the way that we act and the way that we live and the way that we think. God told David, you're wrong. You have despised my word. You have sinned against me. But folks, before we look at chapter 12, and again, I know we're not going to finish this this morning. We'll finish it tonight. and You're welcome to be here. Before we look at chapter 12, there's something else that we must bring up. During these months between the adultery that David had committed and the murder of Uriah, had God been silent in not dealing with David? And here's what I'm trying to say. When you and I, as a child of God, begin to get out of God's will and get involved in willful and deliberate sin, does God just reject us and push us aside and say, I'm going to wash my hands of him or her and I'm done with them? And the answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. Folks, like a loving father, God begins to draw us back to himself. And one of the ways that he does that is through conviction of sin. And he does this not to beat us down. He does this not to make us feel guilty and sad, although that is a result of conviction. But he does this because he loves us. And let me give you evidence of this. 
We've already read Psalms 32. But let me go back, and, and Mackenzie, we don't have this in this order, so let me read it off of my list, okay? Listen to Psalms 32, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. Have you ever been there? You know that you've been sinning against God. You've been rebelling against him, but you absolutely refuse. Maybe something's going on in your life right now. And the spirit of God and the word of God has pointed out that it's wrong. But in your own self-centered way, you tell God, I'm just not ready to let go of that yet. Or here's the verses. Verse 3, there was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. Look at the next phrase. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. You ever been there? I have. All day and all night your hand was heavy on me. You know what David's saying? There was not a time that he didn't feel this war in his soul, in his heart. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day. And look at verse 5. Until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. Folks, have we got to that point yet? You know, one of the things I believe that is holding us back and really growing and becoming the, the child of God and the Christian and the witness that God wants us to be is because we absolutely will not humble ourselves and pray and confess our sins. Don't we have trouble with that? I do. I'll stand here and confess it. I don't like for God's spirit to tell me that I'm going in a wrong direction when that's the direction that I'm lusting to go after. But folks, when God's spirit begins to deal with us, we begin to see how wrong we are and how right God is. And then we come to that point and moment of repentance and confession. And confession is so important. You remember what we read last Sunday, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here David gets to that point in verse 5. He says, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to confess. And guess what? God's ready to forgive. Folks, that's the good news. I'm not up here trying to bow, uh, browbeat you and, and all of us are sinners. We need to remember that. Remember, we started off with that last week. All of us are sinners, but our God loves us so much. And he gives us a second chance. He gave David this second chance. And folks, let me read another psalm. Uh, Psalms 51, verses 1 to 4 and 10 to 12. And these will be on the screen, okay? Listen to this. To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Listen to what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. According to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me against thee, thee only. Now I want you to understand this phrase right here, verse 4. Thee Against thee, thee only. Now, we know that David has sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against Uriah. He has sinned against the other soldiers that were killed. He has sinned against the entire nation of Israel by lying as the anointed king. But he says, and this is what the Hebrew means here, but especially God, I have sinned against thee. 
and done that which is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. Before we look at the next verses, let me point something out. This is a heart cry from David. Because of his sin and rebellion, he feels stained and dirtied by sin. He feels God is forever looking at his sin, and he knows that he has sinned, especially against God. He has lost his purity, his joy, his witness, his wisdom, and he's lost his peace. But folks, listen to this, beginning in verse 10. Listen to this. Folks, this is why I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of how great our sin had been, the grace of God is even greater if we confess and turn to him. Listen to this. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. What a joy that is when God cleans us up. Put a new and right spirit within me. Listen to verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. You know, the truth of the matter is that, that God doesn't cast us away. We deliberately run away. And then Satan tries to make us feel that God no longer loves us. And again, go back to the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, I don't have any business going back to my father. He's not going to love me. But you remember he does. And his arms are open wide. Folks, this is what the cross is all about. This is what the shed blood of Jesus is all about. It is about forgiveness, even as Christians, no matter what we've done. He cleanses us. He does not cast us away. He does not take the Holy Spirit from us. You know, one of the important things about the Holy Spirit, he is our guarantee that we are a child of God. Sometimes we feel so much involved in sin and so far away from God and so low that we feel I'm no longer a child of God. And guess who is laughing and gloating over that? It is the devil himself. Because that's when we lose our witness. How can we witness of something we don't feel like we have anymore? Our salvation. God does not cast us away. And listen to this. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He doesn't lose his salvation, but he loses his joy. Folks, listen. We could go on and on. I want to conclude again. You remember last Sunday? What can take away our sin? What can take it away? Let me read you again this beautiful old hymn, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we are unlovable, when we're so full of sin, you love us. Thank you, Father, for the example and the story of David. Surely, Lord, in those moments of conviction and recognition and confession of sin, he must have felt so unworthy in your presence. And, Lord, we do too. But, God, I thank you for the blood of your Son 
shed on the cross that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And I thank you, Father, that you do not want us to stay in that state of rebellion and separation from you because of our sin. But you want us to walk hand in hand with you and know the joy of our salvation and bear witness to the world that we have a loving and forgiving God. Lord, I thank you that you gave David a second chance. I thank you, Father, that you've given us a second chance. And this morning, Lord, I don't know anyone's heart but mine. Lord, I pray for those that, even as believers, that are shackled by their sin, and they feel so separated from you and so unworthy even to to pray to you. But, Father, I pray that they would be overwhelmed again by your love as David was. I thank you, Father, that when we do confess our sins, you forgive our sins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. And I pray today that if there's someone here that has not yet trusted Christ as Savior, and they think that they are beyond the point of salvation, Lord, remind them that there's not a one that you didn't die for, but they must turn to you in repentance and faith and believe that you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Father, have your will and your way during these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name.